to another episode of the Be A Better Ally podcast. My name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. On today, we have the largest group that we've ever had on the show at once. Um, It's just four of us, to be fair, but we wanted to come together as a group to have a discussion around what some of our goals, intentions, as well as boundaries might be as we approach the coming academic year. I hope that our group conversation helps you think about ways that you might want to set some intention goals and boundaries for yourself in the weeks to come. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Christina Penelgutza. I am a mother. I am a teacher of secondary English and drama at Berlin Brandenburg International School, and I am passionate about social justice and activism, particularly for LGBTQ plus students and equality. Hi everyone, Uh, I'm Kathleen Negley. I'm the head of school at the International School of Helsinki. And I think I, this is my fourth time on Trisha's podcast and very happy to be invited back again. Hi everyone, my name is Chelsea McGovern. I am originally from the United States. I also teach at Brandenburg, Berlin Brandenburg International School in the early childhood department. I am a passionate Reggio Emilia teacher. Um, and pursuing anti-bias work with young learners. Thank you to the three of you for agreeing to come on. Uh, We've been talking, of course, really for a few weeks now about having a little bit of a a, a panel or a small group discussion. And I think it was sort of fortuitous that it, it came to sort of be to this time where a lot of educators are thinking about back to school, start of school, start of school year, and have hopefully had some time to really reflect on, on the year past. So I think, Christina, we'll, we'll open with you with LGBTQ plus inclusion in mind as you're kind of looking ahead. What might be one goal or an intention that you're going to set for these first few weeks of school to be? Um, so I would say that, you know, I've been doing so much thinking and so much reflecting over the summer and just in general over the last year and truly I believe that it's to focus on identities and identity-centered learning. And I was introduced to that um, through Daniel Wickner. And, you know, I have been an openly queer teacher for most of my uh, professional career. And even though I'm very open about it, I've never intentionally introduced myself to students or staff members saying that I am queer. You know, I have a wife. Um, and you know, this is part of who I am. I've often just had conversations with students or with staff members, and it comes up um, through you know the classroom, um, through the Gay Straight Alliance, or you know, students just hear through the grapevine. And um, I think for me, I really want to be intentional because for various reasons, such as not wanting to rock the boat at the beginning of the school year with perhaps conservative families, um, not wanting to appear as though I make everything about being gay, um, not wanting to cause myself any potential harm because, you know, those things have happened in the past where I've been the victim of homophobic incidents. And I'm just going to put all of that aside and I'm going to truly be intentional about focusing on my identity and introducing myself so that I can focus on helping students realize their identities and truly getting them to accept who they are and to feel as though they belong, not just in the classroom, but in society. And 
um, you know, through that, I really want to make sure that I have that conversation with the students so that they know that they're welcome to be their full selves in the classroom, um, in my presence. And, you know, if it takes students time to open up about who they are and about their identities, then that's absolutely fine. They don't have to do it on my terms at all. It took me years. You know, I'm an adult now and I still am working through my various identities because I have more than one. And it's really only been, I would say, in the last three years that I've truly come to accept who I am and be powerful in that and help students along in that. Um, but this year, I really want to be intentional about looking at identities and making sure students feel like they belong in the classroom and in the school and outside of that. I really, I appreciate how you set that up, Christina, because, you know, I, I think for a long time, I've often heard and have probably been guilty myself of saying, you know, I want to make sure that I start the year and, and students feel like, you know, they are welcome. And, you know, I think it's one thing to say it, and it's a completely different other thing to do it, uh, you know, because it's not about the first 10 minutes of that first day. It is, as you mentioned, you know, it, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of intentionality, and it's something that has to be sustained. And I, I really, really value how you say it's taking you a while to think and, you know, to sort of work towards doing it better, because I really think it's a huge mistake to think, a smiling face or, you know, a, a positive presence gets that job done. So, so thanks for, you know, that vulnerability and expressing this is hard and I'm trying to get better at it. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I, I like Christina, how what you're saying is about not making yourself small because this is what we have a tendency to do that we try to, we try to be unimposing in, in our identity. And when, when allowing ourselves to be our full selves and not a smaller version of ourselves, it, you know, it takes bravery and takes, it takes kind of commitment, especially in the beginning of the year. And I think that's really beautiful about how you, how you made those points. When I'm thinking about this upcoming year for me at the school, I'm really worried about COVID having my students go off into distance learning very quickly. So like when I'm thinking about through this question as well, I might have, say I only have two weeks or three weeks with some of my older learners to kind of develop a culture in which they feel like they belong and that their identity is, is championed and, and, and valued. So this is what I'm thinking about on a, a school-wide level at the moment. Um, we have a great turnover at our school, like a lot of international schools. I'll have 125, 130 new students coming in who don't know our culture, don't know that that's who we believe in, that, you know, championing your identity and loving yourself is really important to us. So like, how do we get that across, you know, with hundreds of new kids very quickly? So that's kind of what I'm thinking about, about like, what's my intention in those first few weeks um, with the idea of developing a sense of belonging in our school. And with that, you know, I, I think, you know, Kathleen, thank you for mentioning that you've, you've been on the show, the show a few times. It's, you know, it, it's sort of like this fountain of wisdom that I can't stop myself from coming back to. I, I think one thing that you've mentioned in, in previous conversations is just, you know, accepting the stance that there are many people who have gone through school and not felt like they you know, are welcome there or that school is for them. And I often wonder if just as a starting point, not working under the assumption that 
you know, both educators and children have had a foundation where they think this will be an inclusive environment for me, or I will see myself in the curriculum, understanding that I think for a significant um, number of us, that has not been the case. Uh, you know, I think that that sort of optimism can be a real obstacle. Um, and, and I appreciate that you've said we, we have to be saying, you know, actually, no, we've gotten this wrong yes. uh, quite a few times. And like normally I would I would do this in an opening speech, you know, with the community gathered where I'm already like I, I'm making signals towards this. And I, last year I was unable to do that. I think this year I won't be able to gather up students again. So thinking through what I might do, I'm, I'm thinking about having a video speech for my older students. But like, I need to signal this in that speech so that you know, I, I'm making sure that it's understood from the first 10 minutes they're sitting in a classroom that this is the kind of school leader they have and this is the kind of school atmosphere you wanna be, you wanna build upon. And I'm wondering, you know, Chelsea, for you, I have huge admiration for anybody that can work with the youngest of learners because they are always the ones who have intimidated me the most. Um, I, it's just, I find there's a bravery and a level of patience that you need to have to operate at that level. Uh, and, you know, Kathleen, your point about it, it has to be a tone that's set mm -hmm. right from the beginning. I wonder, you know, maybe that is even more true for your age group where, you know, nobody is more in the moment than, <laughs> than young children. Oh. In the moment and multitasking for sure. Actually, as Kathleen was speaking, I was writing down, you know, my echoed thoughts there, because as is the case in most early childhood programs, we start the year with, um, you know, all about me or an ID, who we are. And I think this type of learning, right, it should be organic, it should be authentic, and it should be reflective of the people who are going to the school as students, and who are teaching at the school, as well as the other staff members who might be doing other positions like maintenance or cleaning or gardening, right, we are all there together, and that we should be aware of how we can represent you know, all those different folks. And one of the things, you know, that I struggle with a little bit is the emotional labor of coming from one part of marginalized identity and having to pursue that, right? It can be authentic for me, but is that necessarily true for all of the staff members that I work with? And how do they feel entering this work? Are they put off by this politically? Are they somewhat feeling like it is... Um, hold on, what's the word, like masking, like they're pretending to be doing something. How do we empower other folks to also be allies in this case? And when I was writing down my notes before, I was thinking, yes, like I'm committed coming from a very personal place of my own queer identity of having best practice, right? Of connecting with others online or in person to take, you know, gather from the toolbox and to grow or what I do with my lessons and my students and my teaching assistants. But at the same time, that's just my classroom. And in early childhood, it's so important that we function as a family and that we help each other. So one of my intentions this year is to somewhat, how do I bridge the gap with other teachers who are just starting this journey or are intimidated by this journey of anti-bias work, especially in this matter, queer advocacy. Um, at the last week of school in our last semester, we did a week-long pride event. And that was, that was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong, but it was a big thing for me to be the one teacher to out myself in a professional way and say, this is coming from a very personal place. And I want to invite us all in there because I'm not the only queer teacher at school, but I'm in the position where I feel that 
I want to branch out and I want to connect with folks and I want the students who are also coming from different family structures to be seen and to be honored and for their peers to also see and honor them and celebrate our own individuality. And so going into the next school year, as it was the last week of school, this Pride event, we really didn't have a reflection. We didn't have a dialogue yet of how was this? How did this Pride event, you know, represent our identity as a school and our mission as a department? And what does this mean going forwards? And so, um, yeah, just typing down notes, trying to reflect, and I want to make it in very inviting space that when we start in September again and we get together, we say, hey, how can we make this a part of our everyday life to go back to that, you know, authenticness? When we talk about who we are and family structures, do we have literature and songs and displays and graphics where it is honoring all different types of families, not even, even if they are not in the classroom exactly? That's right. Because I, you know, I think all of those things are clues to the entire community in terms of, you know, I, I love that you brought up, you know, kind of the mission of the school too. I, I think a lot of school missions are very much aspirational and it is in that day to day, where is it turning up? Where's it turning up and, and where are we actually just almost interfacing with it regularly? Uh, and th- this whole conversation that we've been having actually reminds me a little bit um, last night I'm, I'm staying with my in-laws currently visiting them. And so if, if anybody is looking for some family friendly viewing, we've just finished the series called WandaVision, which I know <laughs> folks have been raving about for a while, but um, we really enjoyed it. And at the end, I, I haven't been following the superhero Marvel. I don't really know anything about that world, but um, we were talking about just why are superheroes, why are they so incredibly popular? And the conversation kind of moved around to this idea that it's that identity piece that, you know, I might not necessarily, you know, relate to being Captain America, but certainly the notion that there's part of my identity that's visible, there's part of it that's hidden. And as you said, Chelsea, that tension between who gets to know me in what way and how, um, I, I think is, is sort of an, an interesting piece. You know, that this is, it's coming from a personal place. Mm-hmm. I think this is a, a really powerful phrase to say in, in any kind of context when you're talking about, you know, anti-bias work, you don't have to necessarily say where that personal place is coming from because maybe it's a hidden disability or, or maybe it's religious or whatever it might be, or maybe you're, you're queer or, or, or maybe you pass for being white when you're a person of color. So I, I think that phrasing is, is something that people can connect to that vulnerability about too. Uh, it's making me think through about how we can use such phrases maybe in activities even. Um, and all of us have connections of empathy to any of this work if we just allow our, 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 ourselves to open up to that. And this is why I often talk to teachers when we're digging into any of this work I'll, I'll say to them, there's, there's something here that you are able to connect to. And if you can connect to that, then you can connect to these other pieces. It's finding that place in your own heart, your own vulnerability. I wonder if, is it, you know, as teachers, we often have to be Superman at work, but the real value is in showing our Clark Kentedness, if you will. Well, you know me, I always say storytelling is everything and great storytelling is telling those stories of your of your vulnerability, I believe.
That's the thing. I think we really need to ensure that students also feel able to be vulnerable in the classroom and share those pieces with them because they're not just students. You know, they have lives outside of the classroom and we need to invite those people in, those young people into the classroom and see them for who they are rather than seeing them just as simply students and we have to teach them content and curriculum um, because it's so much more than that. We're doing so much more as teachers and educators. Christina, do you think you're sort of in a position as a drama theater teacher to sort of be more aware of that? Because it strikes me that in any subject area, right, students are performing and they might be performing based on assumptions of that subject or, you know, the, the teacher has sort of set some assumptions in terms of here's what it means to learn in this community. But you literally have that breaking of the fourth wall where your students literally perform and then don't. So I kind of wonder, has that made you think about that tension between this is the learner presenting their learner self versus their whole self? I don't know. You know, that comes across so much. At the beginning of the year, it takes a lot of time to really get students comfortable with everyone because drama and theatre is such a personal um, expression, form of expression. And, you know, stepping into a role is easy enough when you don't connect with that person or that character because you can just pretend and that's also the beauty in some ways but it's really when you get to the heart of theatre and you get to the heart of that storytelling that you mentioned Kathleen um, that's when the true progress kind of appears and that's when students really start connecting with other people and being able to put themselves in other people's shoes um, which is such a beautiful thing um, and it takes a lot of time to get to that place where you really truly accept other people um, as opposed to just tolerate them um, but definitely I think as a drama teacher I have that opportunity to help students become aware of other people and you know our curriculum is fantastic um, you know I have a lot to I have a lot to thank um, for my previous head of department and I'm going into that role next year which makes me a little bit nervous because I have a lot of shoes to fill um, big shoes to fill but I'm very very grateful for his um, you know he's a white male and he just absolutely allows other people to be the center of attention. And that is so important. You know, when you have all that privilege, being able to bring other people and center their narratives and center their stories, that's so important. And, uh, you know, that's something that I really value and I'm really trying to bring into my own teaching and my own um, pedagogy. Mm. I want to jump in on that because I love the way that you're talking about drama and the level for older kids, for older students because this is one of the reasons why I love working at a school where there are multiple grade levels, because I'm helping with the other staff in the classroom to facilitate this type of learning. And then we pass it on. To me, it's very beautiful. It's like a journey. We're all just this kind of braided in together of learning. And, you know, drama and dramatic play is so important in early childhood, especially the freedom around that, where they can kind of choose to dive into what interests them. But it does bring up a lot of discrepancies with gender identity when children are just learning this at, you know, three, four, five years old. What am I? Who am I? How am I seen? Who am I told that I am are big parts. And it's always, um, you know, taking from Reggio, the environment being the third teacher of the classroom, that 
students who often identify as young boys are not always super interested in dramatic play, or if only sometimes it's aggressive dramatic play, which has its time and place, don't get me wrong, but it, I'm always trying to figure out, okay, what is this group really interested in and how can I put the dramatic play center kind of in between two things that they really like? So there is this, you know, like they come across it by chance or they see other children in that space and they become curious and that way it's not a teacher always inviting them or, you know, encouraging them to go on their own, but they're naturally pulled in to their other classmates of playing, you know, in that space and they get to dive into that role. What does it mean to, you know, perform and what other types of learning usually around sometimes identity struggles that they get to unleash in this safe space. And also it's really great to see them you know, play with gender in the roles that they're choosing to explore. And it brings up wonderful conversations of, well, you can't be this role because you're a girl, you know, and then you kind of go in as the teacher and you help them navigate that. Well, sometimes, you know, for me, I feel that I am a boy and a girl, or sometimes I feel more like a girl on these days or a boy like this, but you don't have to choose. And you can see the students sometimes for them that really clicks and it stays with them. And the other students where they say, no, I'm just a boy and that's how it is. They at least get to have that fun, joyous experience with the friend who identifies differently than them. And in the end, they're sharing a common thing, which is play and relationship building. I love that you bring that up, Chelsea. And I, I can't remember where, <clears throat> where I read this, but it was pulling really from, you know, exactly what you were talking about with Reggio and the environment also being, you know, an extremely important part of education. Uh, it's called mud puddle theory where, you know, it, it's really important to make sure there's lots of different types of books, but, you know, the theory being, if you see a puddle of mud, you want to jump into it. So having kind of those moments spread out for, for learners. So it is the, oh, I'm just going to, that's there. I'm going to explore it in that curiosity. And I think for most educators, we, you know, we take that foundation that great early, early years educators do in terms of cultivating curiosity. I find most educators I know are incredibly curious beings. Uh, and, and Kathleen, I feel like it's fair for me to say that of you. So I'm wondering in the past summer, you know, sometimes there's intentional things that we get curious about through PD that we register for, but sometimes summer is also that you know, a mud puddle, perhaps even a literal, literal one that you've jumped into. I'm, I'm just sort of wondering over the past summer for you, what's been something that's really evoked curiosity for you or an idea that you've been thinking about that you feel is, is actually going to play out um, in the yeah, academic year to come? Oh, talking, uh, talking a little bit about maybe the, the segue where we're talking about the culture and the environment of the school. And, and you know, just to build on Chelsea as well, like the idea of of play um, and the way play, that we give permission in a course like Christina's in drama is, is something that should happen or should feel like, I believe, in all school learning, all the way up, all the way through college, university, and the rest of your life. Like great learning is in this kind of extremely safe place where you're allowed to take on different roles and different perspectives and different thoughts and how beautiful that can be when that's, you can have that environment. But back to your question, um, I, I had a conversation right before the end of the school year that I've been thinking about, and, and, and I don't know the answer. Maybe you guys can help too. It was a, a non-binary teacher uh, came up to me at the end of the year, and they were thinking about putting their pronouns underneath their, their name, which some of us at the school uh, have done. And 
she was wondering whether or not she should put they them. And I, of course, like I completely encourage her and you go for it, you know, whatever pronouns you feel comfortable with or whatever you want to share, that's that's up to you. And and her and she said, you know, Kathleen, I know that you've got my back. I know that the leadership team at the school believes in this and would take care of me and would, you know, protect me if there was some kind of parent issue or whatever. She said, what happens, what happens when you leave? What happens if you go away? Um, and then I'm, I'm endangered again. And I've made the mistake of sharing something, sharing something um, that becomes dangerous to me later on. And my, my first instinct was to think, well, you know, it's one of the things I'm working on, and a lot of schools are working on, those schools that believe in this work, we're often thinking about, okay, I'm going to be embedding this in policy and trying to create structures and foundation and policy. And, um, and I was talking to my deputy about this, and we were both saying, though, we know how easy it is with new leadership in many ways to change policy. So just because it was put in policy five years ago, 10 years ago, doesn't mean that it remains, that sometimes it gets buried or ignored or just outright changed. We were wondering, we were talking about this, we were wondering like, what do you really do to change a culture of a school? Um, so that if I'm gone, the, the, the teachers that are there don't ever allow that to change. They collectively would never allow to go back to some kind of some kind of world where the, the backlash can overcome what we've done or the progress we've made. So that's what I've been thinking about. Like, what does real change, how, how does it become embedded in a, a culture that it doesn't, doesn't disappear? And I know what it's like to leave a, as, as a school leader and see work that you've done before just completely you know, vanish, literally. Um, you know, within a year, even, even six months, sometimes you think, oh, that hard work I put in, then it's gone. Right. And we all know this with teachers who build all these great plans or whatever. And the new teacher comes in like, oh, I don't really want to do that plan. And then, you know, it's gone as well, which is natural and normal. So th that's what I I'm wondering. And, and as we're doing all this DEIJ work and we're working on uh, queer advocacy and all these pieces, we know that backlash is, is going to come. Trisha, you've talked about this in your podcast and, and you know, before. I'm worried already about how I'm going to support the, the school that's in Budapest at the moment. So this is in our region. I'm you know, part of the CISA um, region and our board is wondering because there's a, there's a group of kids and teachers who want to protect the LGBTQ plus population at that school and they are terrified of people being arrested in, in Hungary this upcoming school year. They're terrified about how they're gonna protect kids who, who may not understand the dangers that they're in, that they might go out and for a protest and they too get picked up or things happen to them. Whereas us older folks, maybe we're a little bit more cautious because we, we understand, understand how dangerous situations can be. So this is, this is what I'm thinking right now. How do I embed this? How do I protect when I'm not there? Um, and how does that happen? How does that really happen in society that the backlash doesn't overwhelm great progressive change? 
Mm, yeah, it's a, it's a huge question. And I, I, I think at a societal level, I don't have any answers for you at all, but I'm thinking, you know, the majority of my work was uh, as a, a digital literacy coach. And we often think of that too, where, you know, there's pedagogy that we're trying to shift a little bit. And, you know, if, if a coach leaves a school, how is that truly going to still be there versus reliant on the one person who's been supporting it? And I often think it's, you know, does it really exist within the learner body? Have the learners, have the students learned to think this is the expectation, this is the legacy that we are about? Because I think ultimately, if they expect it and they want it, and it's such a strong part of the school's identity, I almost feel like it will continue because that's also who the legacy is for. Um, and I think most schools, you know, the educational faculty wants to support where the students are willing to go. And I, I wonder, Kathleen, you know, you've talked about the student advocacy group that's been set up. I, I just sort of wonder, you know, as a prediction, will that legacy building piece really reside with them? This, this is what, you know, this is what I'm hoping to shift in this upcoming year. Like, so, you know, how, how do I empower them at the beginning of the year to keep, their go keep going and to expand? Because to me, that group is the heart of the mission and vision of our school. And I, in many ways, I want to take pressure or attention to old structures like student council, which often gets caught up in like, you know, the prom or, you know, event management um, or, you know, highly like political things with, you know, that they're so obsessed about their, who's gonna be the um, president you know, they spend the first six weeks worrying about some kind of hierarchical structures mm. of actually doing real work. So this was what I'm wondering too. And again, the fear is my students change over so fast. So, you know, my entire school almost completely turns over with, with students in every four to five years. So, you know, and where are they coming from and what have they faced and, you know, this I, I want to do as well. I'm thinking too, like, what does it, what does it take? It seems to me like BBIS at the moment, you guys are doing great things over there. You're like embedding things. It's, it seems to be happening everywhere. I'm super jealous. What are you guys doing? What's, what's the special sauce? Gosh, I mean, it's so interesting to hear you say that because that is such a challenge, isn't it? You know, trying to overcome all of these issues where, you are easily replaceable. Like people are easily replaceable. Things can be changed so quickly, like you say. Um, is there a real answer? I mean, I don't think there is a true answer yet because governments are changing all the time and they do exactly the same thing at a much larger scale. So how on earth, when we don't have a model, how on earth do we, do we address that? Um, I mean, for me, in terms of summer PD, I have been participating in PD, um, but something that came out of PD, um, out of the ALOC PD, uh, was that a group of us international educators formed a professional learning community. And I think it truly lies with the educators who are passionate about this and trying to make those connections because throughout COVID, we have really seen a rise in being able to connect with other international school educators 
through using, you know, Zoom and Google Meets and things like that. And um, that's been so powerful because I had no idea what some other schools were doing across the globe. And now being connected to these educators, we have really been trying to grapple with our own identities as students ourselves so that we can then impart that knowledge and be able to teach those lessons in the classroom and make change, you know, and so much of this grassroots work that we're doing, um, people want to get on board with it. You know, Darnell Fine was the one who suggested it to us, start with grassroots work and people will want to join in. They will see the impact and influence that you are having and they don't want to get left behind. And so, you know, we're working through the book by Sarah K. Ahmed called uh, being the change. And I never got to do any of this as a student myself. That's why I'm still figuring out who I am as a person. Um, and so I want students to be able to have that experience in school so that they can be advocates themselves, so that they can really become agents for social change, so that they are the ones that um, can continue that legacy that we're all talking about. I think it really, really, truly lies with the students. And if we, as educators, don't focus on those young people, if we as leaders don't focus on those young people and have them at the heart of everything that we do, instead of, you know, focusing on getting promotions or wanting to get um, extra money, which is, you know, maybe a little bit controversial, but, you know, if we're not getting into those positions to do the right thing by the students, what is the point? I like how you say... Um, helping students become advocates as they push forwards. You know, I often, again, another Reggio uh, um, part that I really like is respecting students and children as citizens, even the youngest of students, that they have a right and ability to say something that they want to those, to the power in be, and can also play a role in making that change if you empower them in age appropriate ways, right? And in constructive ways. And one of the things that I've been thinking about this summer, which has been a hectic summer and I haven't really had time to have an aha moment, but it's kind of relating what to you're saying, Kathleen, about stuff vanishing, right? And how, how do you know that your work is going or the work that you've also worked with other people collaborating on is going to continue to grow? And for me, you know, shout out to my last school back in the States, a wonderful Reggio local grassroots school called the Family Cooperative. Um, we did this great thing every Tuesday called Family Days, and it was somewhat like an affinity day. So, right, so this is me taking that work so it doesn't vanish to say and trying to share it, right? And we should always be sharing what's in our tool belt because we're better, you know, when we are stronger together with these tools. And what we would do on these Tuesdays, it was somewhat affinity based based on ethnic and cultural background and or family structure background where the students then were able to be grouped with teachers who also align in that way. Of course, students or teachers for whatever personal or other needs were kind of peppered in and out that may not align specifically with the majority. But in the end case, that did happen with a lot of straight and or white passing students who are kind of in the flipped role of what they're used to of being a bit in the minority. Um, and in these groups, you know, we were separated into these safe spaces where the group members could explore issues of shared identity and experience to, you know, we really focus on affirming their emotional and social interactions within the community. And going back to advocating for others, I believe that learning is social, right? And that once you have respect for others, you, you know, gain respect for yourself and you learn to stand up for what's important. And, you know, within these groups as well, 
we also use them as a tool to reduce a sense of isolation or discomfort, you know, that even many marginalized children can feel and staff as well, even in the most progressive school environments, right? Because this still happens. And it gave it a sense that we weren't just a school with a classroom with a set of students, right? Just connected with a bunch of other sets of students, but that we were a community. And it really did play to the phase that the phrase that, you know, it takes a village. And, you know, you have me thinking, Chelsea, you know, that that social element of learning, the identity work that Christina was talking about, and of course, the legacy construction, Kathleen, that you're mentioning, all of these things are exhausting, right? It's not, you're never going to get, I, you know, I almost wonder, Kathleen, to your point about, you know, how do I make sure it's here and is really indestructible? I don't know that we can, you know, I, I actually think it's sort of, we have to be in it for the long haul. And part of that I think is also making sure if we know that this work has to be sustained, we have to be doing something for ourselves to be able to sustain it. Um, I recently had a guest on Sabrina Joy Stevens, who's sort of a professional organizer. And she was talking a little bit about, um, you know, Christina, you mentioned this idea of really just being the example. Uh, and she told me, that she's come to the point where she doesn't ever really engage in any of the kind of online or even you know in real life arguments that she's realized having those kinds of let me convince you dialogues are you know really draining on her battery she doesn't feel like it's a good use of time just really focus on building the example cultivating that and then letting people kind of see as you were mentioning Christina earlier that's going to be more convincing than let's have this back and forth and I list resources, you know, et cetera. So I'm wondering, you know, with, with looking at the year ahead and knowing, yes, this is going to be another year where we're doing this work. There will be some backlash there, you know, of course, is, is all of the emotional labor that comes into doing work that's social as well. What is the thing that you're thinking, okay, I'm actually going to make sure that either this is my boundary or this is going to be part of my practice to make sure that my battery is, is still charged and I have the energy to do this work. Um, Chelsea, I think we'll start with you because I'm somebody that's always worked in the secondary and I find, I have found, it's been my experience working with older students, the, the majority of the work is the planning and then the in-person is, is very much easier. But I would guess, and my wife has been an early years teacher, it's almost in a way flipped, you know, she didn't necessarily have lots of marking to do, but her day and her interface with, you know, 20 young, young folks who never run out of energy. Um, I, I kind of think you really need to be thinking about how do I keep my battery charged? You know, what is the thing that I'm going to do for myself this year in mm -hmm. a year where the pandemic is still happening? So we also have that context. Um, ha have you thought a little bit about what you might do that is for you knowing that Nobody is going to be able to be an ally to any student unless they are first an ally to themselves. Yeah, I have a response for this in two parts. <laughs> the first part is kind of related to what I was talking about before about wanting to share this really positive experience that I had at my previous school with my colleagues in this department that I'm in right now. And, you know, I think there will be pushback and there will be folks who are a bit confused or unsure. And one thing that I'm really trying to navigate myself right now are my big feelings in a proactive way. So thinking about questions, why might this not be giving precedent? And then writing down, how does that make me feel? And getting it all out on paper before I then say it to another person, or I'm in a group where I'm kind of trying to think on my toes because 
thinking on shows with children is really easy, but for grownups, it's a whole different, it's a whole different ball game. And, you know, with early childhood, yeah, it's, you know, when it comes to learning, you never want to stop because they're so curious and they're so full of wonder that you might make a plan and the plan might not happen. And you have to really, you know, submit to the universe at this point. Um, but I think you should live what you preach and in early childhood play is everything. And that I also need to play and I deserve to play. And I often think, you know, I have this one body and I can stretch myself really thin in one area, but it doesn't help anyone. If all I know is theory, if all I can talk about is pedagogy, right? What joy do you get from feeling isolated sometimes in your own studies, or even being feeling like a martyr at times as well for what you believe in. And in the end, you know, this happens the past few years, I used to work in Japan where the work life balance is quite challenging, you know, to navigate it's long work hours. And over the past few years, I say five o'clock computer off. I don't put Gmail on my phone. I do not want to get a parent email at 10 o'clock at night because I am not the best person going into school the next morning. And I need to make sure that I am the best person going into school the next morning. So yeah, just give my permission to turn off and to play and to be silly. You can see behind me, I have a lot of roller skates right here. You know, take that. Am I also taking risks in a fun way that's with a great community of people? Um, am I learning new things? Because in the end, these children are not going to grow up in the vacuum of school forever. They're going to graduate. They're going to enter the world. And I am also then learning from all the different folks that I meet in life that reflect sometimes more of my students' values and backgrounds than from my own learning from a book. And that I have to be able to be flexible and to be non-judgmental constantly. It just, it's a full cycle that recharges itself. So yes, in the end, boundaries of shutting off work and having lots of playtime. I think honestly that that valuing of play there's there's so much adults can learn from early years education and you know as you were saying that my, my wife used to used to be an early years educator and I every once in a while she'll be like you know what tonight we are playing a board game and you know initially I'll be like oh like and, and during the pandemic it's just the two of us like we're okay fine like you know five minutes in I'm engaged, as you say, like it is sort of a, we'll often do like a no tech in the evening kind of a thing. And it is every bit as good as spending a hundred dollars to have like a spa environment. I, I really think play is such an undervalued resource for adults. It is so restorative. I'm really happy that you brought that up. Just to add on that though, it does fuel your lessons more in the end that I find in my own classroom than reading lesson plans or always researching. If I get myself out in the world, I'm just taking from that and then sharing with my students. And I love that, you know, Chelsea and I work together and she's constantly talking about her skating. <laughs> you know, my daughter is gonna be in her class next year, which I'm super excited about. I hope I'm allowed to share that. <laughs> already um and I already told my daughter like you know you gotta ask Chelsea about the skating because you know I want you to get involved with skating too so that you have something to do um that you know isn't necessarily something I have to always be involved in so yeah um I love that Chelsea is all about that play and I love that you are encouraging all of us to get out there and do that Christina or Kathleen is there does that resonate? Are you sort of thinking yeah. I'm going to have a, a, a play goal or a boundary where my playtime is that. protected? I wish I, I wish I could do more of it. I think the boundary piece is key. And 
no matter how many times people tell me this, I'm not very good at keeping them. So it's always my, my, my goal to figure out how, how I turn off because my job does have a lot of responsibility. It's very easy to stick that it goes on infinitely in every direction. Um, and one of the things people who know me very well that I, I'm very, very dedicated to um, exercise. So um, every morning I, I do strength training. Every morning I'm, I'm lifting in my living room. Um, and that's like just part of who I am. So like I, I, I believe that for myself to have strength for others, I physically also need to have strength and to build that strength. So it's something that I, I was recommitted to again this, this past summer, but try, trying to find, find a way to, to be myself without being my role is, is the key for me because there, it's so consuming, all consuming in my life that it's very difficult to have friends that are not attached to international teaching. We all know that when we go to another country, sometimes you don't have maybe local friends outside of what's happening. Um, my days are packed. I come home exhausted. And, you know, I, I have oftentimes at the end of the day, just switching into boots to walk home just feels like I don't have the energy to even get out my office door. So, you know, this is something for all of us out there who's listening that um, how, how do we figure it out for ourselves and what, what makes sense for ourselves to find the person we are outside of our, our, our role and find, find that joy that Chelsea is talking about, the way she does that through play. I think that's incredibly powerful. And, you know, sometimes I'm asking myself, who am I? without without this without this job i've almost forgotten the goofy funny you know um kathleen that you know used to be before i was in this this job um and and trying to reconnect to that to that part of myself is is something that um yeah i'm, I'm looking for for that and this is about wisdom as well and I, i'm not there yet well, remember, Kathleen, even Superman is just Clark Kent sometimes. So I, I believe me, I want to I want to find out Clark Kent's hobbies are. <laughs> I, maybe he's into roller skating like Chelsea. <laughs> I know. Well, and I wonder, too, you know, I, that boundary piece is really difficult. And something I've been thinking a lot about is the idea of almost having an accountability partner, because I think sometimes we almost get overly absorbed in our work in a way that is kind of secretive, you know, especially with the nature of work now, it's sort of easy for it, it, it to be that way. Um, and I, I do, I, I work with shifting schools and we often get requests from educators to produce resources they can use. And I had a principal reach out a few weeks ago and say, I wanna make sure that my staff understands that I know last year was really hard and I know that the summer was not enough. So I just want to make sure I'm having some conversations where people are aware that I am aware and that we are going to try to be there for one another in ways perhaps that we weren't. So we've put together sort of these five prompts that are meant to have conversations around that and maybe have a little more transparency in terms of 
how are we feeling? And there's this one, it's really simple. It just sort of has three batteries at different levels of charge. And one of them just has, you know, the, the sentence frame of, you know, you'll be able to tell that my battery is almost drained when I am. Uh, and, and I'm going to try to use that with, with folks that I work with too, because that presents really differently for different people. Um, and I, I kind of have been thinking about times that would have been really useful for me and other teams that I've been a part of. So I, I almost wonder if uh, just some of that partnering and having somebody, you know, be watching out for you in ways that um, at schools we should be, uh, that's going to be a little bit of, of my goal this year is not always having the stress be hidden, but just be a little more vulnerable about it. We, we, we asked people to find a wellness buddy last year on our staff, somebody who would, you know, um, come and, and talk to you and talk you down from the, the ledge sometimes. Mm-hmm. My wellness buddy, because I, I, I rarely eat lunch at work. He would like, he would plan on my calendar. <laughs> he would, you know, pull me out of the building and like, let's go have, let's go have a meal together. Because yeah, I, I think that's actually a really good idea to have, having that somebody who's watching out for you um, and that you'll listen to and not be like a stubborn mule like me, me sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think that piece about being accountable to someone really helps to ensure that you look after yourself. Because um, if someone else is not out there looking out for you and you can't do it yourself so easily, um, who will? So that's, that's really powerful. I really um, like, oh, sorry. No, keep going. <laughs> No, I really like how it just that, that takes away the stigma about it, right? That we're here to catch you and that it's okay to need help. Yeah, and just talking about it, being open about it. And I think that is so powerful in itself, especially if we model that with our students, you know, and we talk with our students and say, look, it's been a really hard week and let's all just take a step back and ask each other how we're doing. Um, if we really, if advisory programs are built well, that should be embedded in it so that every single day students are asking each other, how are they doing? Um, and that teachers also are asking their students how they're doing. And you know what, last year, um, the year before even, when COVID started, I had students emailing me and saying, you know what, Ms. Pinnell, you're doing such a great job. How are you, how are you doing? And I just thought, that is so amazing. I never asked them to do that. And I don't think any teacher asked them to do that either. No parent asked them to do that. So amazing agents for change, you know, modeling that mental health and being open and vulnerable about that as well has been really inspiring because students, they're really onto it. They know what's, what's going on around the world and we need to tune into that. And I think it's that self-awareness piece too, that's really critical because, you know, I legitimately think there have been times where I, you know, you you get asked sometimes, how are you? And I think we've almost been programmed to, I'm fine, you, you know, and that's it. Um, But I find sometimes, you know, having those frameworks in place and thinking about, you know, what are some of the characteristics that show up when you, you know, are starting to get into that you know, burnt out stage, you know, that, that sentence frame that I mentioned even had me thinking, and I had never thought about it before. Yeah. When my battery is starting to get towards empty, I almost tend to 
I'm going to work even harder and try to, can I get ahead, ahead, ahead? Uh, and so I said, well, you know, one of, you'll notice in our Slack channel, I'm probably pumping even more stuff into it. That's a symptom. And it, you know, useful for my colleagues, but it was also really useful for me because I don't know that I had ever even thought about sort of my, you know, work, the nature of my work in that way before. We just had resilience training and we were talking about that battery metaphor was kind of coming up in that as well. And identifying each week at least, or maybe every day, depending on what you, how you feel about it. Identify what are the things that energized you each day and what are the things that are draining you? And just like watching your list, how that's happening. And like knowing if, if you are in a position where you've had a couple of really tough meetings with parents or with students or, or whatever, just whatever reason, like that day has really, like to be able to have that reflection very quickly and think, okay, what are the things that might energize me at this moment or help me at least recover back to some kind of normal, you know, for Chelsea, maybe she straps on those, you know, uh, roller, roller skates and she's, she's out there on, you know, but whatever that is, no. Also, knowing like what is my list of energizing activities? Because again, like for myself, like do I even know what that list is anymore? Like that was that was very thought provoking for myself because I too I also tend like Tricia to I'll do more. And what I'll end up doing is like more more reaching out, more helping other people, more 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 more. When I just like really need like you know Kathleen to shut up and you know put your head under the covers. <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, that brings me to what I'm intentionally going to be doing next year, which is saying no more often, you know, opportunities are going to arise all the time. And if I miss out on a couple of things because I need to recharge my batteries, then that is okay. Rest is a form of resistance and I'm allowed to do that. And, you know, if this is something you need to hear, if you're listening, you are allowed to take rest and you are allowed to be um, fully recharged so that you can be a better person for whoever it might be, whether it's your family, your students, yourself, um, please rest and say no. And I think, you know, know what rest big and rest light can look like for you, because, you know, I, I think the saying no to the big things is great. And that, you know, has real impact if, if you get into that practice and are able to do it. But I find I've also needed to learn what are some of those strategies where it is a busy week and compromise is really tricky. Uh, Edutopia has this great series of it's either 60 or 90 second, um, uh, you know, basically like, you know, adjusting, recalibrating your emotions. And one of them that I've taken on is you just you set a timer. It's either, again, 60 or 90 seconds and it's called push a wall. So you just, you know, sort of have your hands up on the wall. And you're sort of, you know, just holding up that wall or pushing it depending on the, the strength and quality of that wall. And it's amazing to me how it is such a great, oh, they're called rapid resets. Mm -hmm. And it really is, I find if you're in that scenario where you might need a few routines to just pause, let a little bit of stress out, kind of get back into the body and out of the mind. I absolutely love that one. So I, I think that might be another strategy is trying to, how do I have a few of those rest light techniques and strategies as well? I'm really big on this. I'm currently being children, teens and trauma-informed yoga certified and longtime yogi myself. And 
you know, while we are talking about grownups, I'm a big proponent for having the most nap time as possible in early childhood, right? Because this teaches them as they become grownups like us with work lives and all of that that comes with it is that sometimes bodies just need to be bodies. So if it is putting your head under the cover, then that's fine because your body really does teach you, you know, once you have stillness, right? Once you're present with yourself, you can feel the different parts that are being stimulated and you can give yourself that pause and moment to reflect why and what feels good and what doesn't feel good. And the more that I find that I give myself permission, my own body permission to be itself, the more that I am aware that in moments of stress, when my body is giving me these cues outside of my brain, but in other parts, that it's like a good signal to say, hey, you might need to do the resistance or you need to take a walk or get some sunlight or something, yeah. Mm. Absolutely. And yet again, I, I kind of think it is, early years education sets us up. And I, I almost wonder, is part of it making sure that we're not stripping away at those lessons as we go through through schooling? <laughs> uh, I, I just, I wanna you know, say thank you to the three of you because you know, in that light of, yeah, you know, saying no to things allows you to say yes in a bigger way to priorities. I, I do wanna thank the three of you so much for saying yes to this episode. Uh, and, and I would love to maybe, you know, let's get together again later in the year to touch on some of the ideas, you know, Kathleen, how do you, how do you feel you're doing with that legacy piece? You know, Christina, that idea of that identity work, what's, you know, you wanted to approach some of it differently this year. How's that going? And, and, and Chelsea, you know, in all seriousness, the, the play, you know, what's been a barrier to you keeping that in your schedule? How are you seeing that, you know, really set your, your learners up? For that transformative experience that we want them to have and what are some of those early years lessons that you're thinking this is great for the 40s 50s 60 pluses as well i'd, I'd love to reconvene and, and debrief so feel, feel free to say no to it. Christina, go ahead and say no right now <laughs> just not in the first like two months <laughs> So thanks. Uh, I think on behalf of the panel, those of you who are listening and are getting ready to enter into uh, the new school year, we wish you luck. We hope that, again, you find great things to say no to. We hope that, um, you know, uh, again, I'm going to bring up the superhero, the superhero metaphor that you remember, you know, in education, we do not have to be heroic. Um, you know, we, we do need to give space to ourselves. And Chelsea, I, I think I'm going to, that, that last word, you know, sometimes bodies just need to be bodies uh, that we, that we find time and space for that this year. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank, Thank you. you. Great meeting everyone.